what verse 4 says. How God describes it through the prophet. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a great fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. So behind this text is actually this idea that are using fasting uh, to get attention, to get uh, the attention of others, but also the attention of God, because he says you're quarreling with each other, and then it says you will not hear my voice the way you are fasting. Why were the people quarreling? Well, like it happens many times, they're quarreling because someone fi- feels uh, more than they should, and some are feeling less than they should. I remember one time in Puerto Rico many years ago, a pastor friend of mine was telling me how his small congregation decided to call a church-wide fasting. And they were all going to fast together, which can be a challenging idea. And uh, as a result, uh, about the third day, people were already hurting each other's feelings. There was one brother that was walking around, pulling out his belt, sticking in his belly and saying, Boy, do I love Jesus. You see, and the challenge with that is that something that was designed to bring people, say, closer to God, to reflect on our own need of His grace, ended up from being a church-wide fast to a church-wide challenge, a church-wide problem for them. In fact, it was not a problem of liturgy or worship or theology even. even it's a problem of the heart. But what about us? I could see where at times some of us, and I'm thinking of myself here, uh, perhaps at times have thought things like, well, it's been like six Sundays in a row that I've come to church. Or, man, I sure like that check that I was able to give this past Sunday. Things which are good. And maybe sometime one may think, man, I've had five quiet times in three days. And wonder if that's some sort of record. And yet reality is that God doesn't go around Facebook postings. Like I'm pretty sure he doesn't have one. I would actually go beyond that and say that even people that do not consider themselves religious are people that are also fasting in this sense. Because left to our own devices, left to our own selves, we will drift into this idea that I can maneuver this creation, that I can maneuver my gifts and the things that are around me in a way that I will get someone's attention. Whoever's attention, I think, is important at the time. In that sense, are all fasting. So, of course, the question is, what does God desire from His people even at this time? One thing that I would say is for sure, God doesn't want a people that is obsessed asking themselves, is God paying attention to me? We could equate that perhaps to spiritual narcissism. God wants a people that actually knows and understands to a degree that God loves me. That God has already demonstrated and given me the greatest gift there is. Even to the point where if He never answered one more prayer or gave me one more thing that I've requested, I can worship Him. And I can be eternally grateful for Him. That we are committed to righteousness, to gratitude, to humble ourselves before Him. Not as an attention-grabbing device, 
but because we're deeply grateful. It's like the husband that maybe after 10 years or six years of marriage realizes, I love my wife. I deeply love my wife. And he's free to show it without embarrassment, without concerns or to insecurities. Uh, even when she says, can you help me with the dishes tonight? That he doesn't have to think, wait, she asked for that yesterday, last night too. She might be taking advantage of me here. Or wait, she prefaced that by saying she's tired. I'm tired. Again, we drifted into a me focus rather than realizing the opportunity that we have to love. That a wife can give her husband attention and affection freely, not because he has earned it, but because she's grateful to the Lord and even for, to him in that relationship. Now, of course, the thing that gets tricky is when a husband or anyone in any given relationship comes and says, I'm going to serve them. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to love you. And that action starts, that fasting starts, if you will, and the response is, hmm, what is it that you want? What do you want from me? And the reaction is suspicion. Again, we might be tempted to react to that by saying, okay, fine, I'm being nice, I'm loving you, I'm serving you, and this is what I get, I'm done with this. Again, the problem with that is who's the focus? It's like somebody that gives a gift to another person, but is totally thinking about what they want. Now what could that person possibly want? Who's at the center? That actually when we hear, why are you being so nice? What do you want? That we can actually sense that suspicion and say, I need more practice. I need to pursue and persevere through loving and serving you uh, because it is truly out of love. It's amazing when we read this passage and God says in verse 6, Is not this the fast that I choose? To lose the bonds of the wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? Now, I would suggest to you that the idea here is not as soon as, as, soon as you live here, grab the first homeless person, put him in your car, take him home, and then introduce him to your spouse in the evening. Look who's staying with us. Because that would not be helpful. But to actually ask ourselves, not what can I do, but how can I help? What would truly be an act of service that would project a way in which I'm giving myself to the Lord? That the church has a problem, not because they are hearers, because they're not doers. I think actually a question that I would project this is to ask myself, am I regularly speaking of my sin? Does my family regularly hear me speak of my sin? Or they hear me speaking of their sin, of somebody else's sin, the teacher's sin. But do they hear me speaking of my sin? Am I requiring somebody else's repentance or am I able to speak of my own repentance? So we as Americans in the United States, we like to think of terms of outcomes. But this passage is not about outcomes. It's almost as you do something simply because you love, simply because you have gratitude in your heart because of what the Lord has done. That it is, in fact, about their relationships. In fact, when we hear, 
in verses 10 and 12, how it describes what happens after the fasting. Not because that's the goal, not because we got God's attention, but because we deeply love Him. Because we have an awareness of the cross, of the, my deep need of His forgiveness. The result of that, of feeding the hungry, of coming alongside the hurting, not to be self-centered, but other-centered, God-centered. Verses 10 through 12, especially verse 12, speaks of language like, then the ruins will be rebuilt. Do you see that? The raising of the foundation of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the bridge. Now, what kind of language is that? This is a language that is pointing not to a personal private spirituality or a personal private religion. He's talking about a city that is actually being rebuilt. In fact, it talks about we will be called restorer of streets to dwell. A ministry of fixing potholes, we could call it. Seriously, it's something that is so outward. So this fasting, even in this way, is not this private personal religion. It's actually something that is visible. It's public. It's out there. It's palpable. In a way that it points to a people that are deeply thankful to the Lord. Like the cross. It's a public event. It's something that has an impact where we are. And, and you see, so what we're being called to come, not just simply with our doctrine or our preaching, which things have their place and are so important, the gospel, but to actually the, to understand that the thing that brings me together and connects me to the city, to my neighbor, whether they are Presbyterian, Christian or not, it's that we are all people in need. People that notice the bridge. People that notice the streets that are broken, the ruins that are around us. Because in the end, Jesus is not one secret agents, but visible servants. People that have given themselves in a way that points to the gratitude, to the grace that we have received. So, to the point that the cross is public, we could say that this cross-shaped ashes that you might receive this morning, this afternoon, are visible as well. And you may not decide to receive the sign of the cross with the ashes this morning. That's fine. It's totally up to you. But that if you do, that you would allow it to point to your need of repentance, to your need of the grace to deepen your faith, to love and to be a servant as one whose debt has been paid and it's free to serve because he has been blessed so much. So I call us to celebrate, to observe Holy Lent. Not just Lent, but Holy Lent. Pointing us to the cross that if we come, we come acknowledging our sins, repenting with deep gratitude, not to get his attention, but because he has loved us love us so much. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have marked us in our hearts, if we indeed belong to you, with a love that is deep, that is so real. 
Lord, and at times we do allow even our most precious liturgies to lose their meaning because we're so distracted with ourselves. That whether we give up something this time, whether we come and receive this cross-shaped mark, ashes in our head, that we would acknowledge that our hearts belong to you and that you are our Lord and Savior. For we pray in your name. Amen.